Welcome to the Soul Grit Podcast. I'm Ann Taylor McNeese, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I also love Jesus, and I'm passionate about all things gospel and therapy. I created Soul Grit to be at the intersection of mental health and Christian faith. Christ followers need a place to ask questions and get answers about mental health. Join me as we dive into real stories and real questions from people who want to honor God with their hearts, souls, and minds. Hi, welcome back to the Soul Grit Podcast. This is Anne, and I'm happy to introduce to you today Chris Thurman, who's a psychologist out of Texas, and he's here to talk about his new book. Hi, Chris. Hi, Anne. Great to be with you. Thanks for letting me be on. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you because you do in your career what I'm aspiring to do in my career, which is to take our clinical skill in psychology and then to bring the Bible into it and help people see where those connections are. So tell us the title of your book and uh, just a little bit about what it's about. It's uh, called Emotionally Healthy Christianity. Uh, basically, it is a book that holds Christ up as the only psychologically perfect person that ever lived. Yeah. And it goes into 12 of his psychological attributes as to what made him perfectly emotionally healthy. Mm. So that's that's kind of a 30,000 foot view. Yeah. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit more about you and your history and why this was the book you wanted to write at this stage in your career. Well, um, I came to Christ when I was 13, mm. and that was 56 years ago, so I'm a fairly old old guy at this point. Um, at the same time I became a believer, I just developed a really strong interest in psychology. Yeah. Uh, so those two um, loves, if you will, hit me when I was that age. Uh, one a person and the other a profession. Yeah. Uh, throughout my profession, uh, professional life, I've been interested not so much in psychopathology as I have been what makes for emotional health. Yeah. So I really embarked on a 40 plus year effort to understand what those markers of emotional health are. Mm hmm and integrating my faith and my biblical theology into that. Uh, I tell people fairly often that uh, I started off 40 years ago as a psychologist who happened to be a Christian. Mm -hmm. About 20 years in, I was a Christian who happened to be a psychologist. And now what I think I am is a clinical theologian. Wow. Uh, I'm very interested in what the Word of God has to say about people and their problems. Really committed to putting my psychological training second to that. Mm -hmm. And whatever my training agrees with biblically, yep. then I keep it. And right. what it doesn't, I just toss it. Yeah. This is really interesting to me because I had that similar, like, early, like, teenage experience of thinking, hey, I've been a Christian all my life. And this area of psychology, like, I really think Christians need to be talking more about it, you know, um, and like you say, emotional health. So real quickly, say a little bit more about the difference of focusing on emotional health versus focusing on psychopathology. Yeah. 
Well, and I may not be articulating that very well. I just, you know, like most psychologists, I was trained with more of a focus on pathology, mm-hmm. uh, you know, mental health diagnoses and uh, how to treat people. Right. And uh, I just, along the way, that never was a good fit for me. I, I just wasn't bent that way. I, I didn't, I, I'm not being flippant about it, but I just, I wanted to focus more on how people can avoid uh, getting into the ditch, so to speak, from a mental illness perspective. Um, You may or may not know the name, but um, the influential start for me was a book by Scott Peck called The Road Less Traveled. Yeah, I do know that name. Mm -hmm. And Peck laid out what he called the four tools for legitimate suffering. And that was the first time I had run into a mental health professional that had the same orientation of me is let's talk about what the markers are of emotional health. And he laid out four. Uh, And ever since then, I've been just collecting a sense of what they are and mine expanded to 12. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And since you're, you've been around a little longer than I have. Can you just um, maybe talk to our audience a little bit about how the perspective among Christians has changed about psychology and about emotional health? What have you seen? Uh, I've been around long enough to think that it has shifted in a more positive direction among believers. Uh, Back when I was a young and I think there was a fair amount of mistrust of psychology wasn't helped by the fact that you know freud as the father if you will of modern psychology was you know saw religion as the opiate of the masses and was down on it right so i've seen people i've seen people get a little bit more open to the possibility that god speaks truth out of every area of mm-hmm. academia and that he'll even use people who are not his followers to speak it. Yeah. And that if we can be careful, if we can be biblically grounded, then we can go into what secular psychology teaches and we can cherry pick. Yeah. We can take things that really are biblically defensible, mm-hmm. solid, and use them to help people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see a lot of our culture going the the other way where we trust in science and then we cherry pick what we want out of the Bible. But (laughs) it sounds like, and this may be a good segue to talking more about your book, like having your biblical foundation first and then picking what makes sense with that out of psychology is kind of the way to go towards emotional health. So why don't you tell us about these 12 tenets that you've developed? my age, I'll have trouble remembering all 12. <laughs> let, me, let me remember however many I can. Um, a few basic, highlights, maybe. <laughs> a, a few highlights, yeah. yeah. I, um, I, I feel like whatever else Christ personified from a psychological health perspective would include the following. One, a orientation of serving rather than being served. Mm-hmm. So when I think about what is an emotionally healthy person, I think of them that way, mm-hmm. is they have a bent toward giving rather than taking. Yeah. 
and therefore the more narcissistic people are among the most emotionally, mentally ill of all. Yeah. Because their orientation is to take and to exploit and to use. Mm -hmm. So that would be one of the qualities that he personified is, you know, it says real clearly, Christ came to serve, not to be served. Mm -hmm. And that's staggering. I mean, when you think about God taking form, that's pretty amazing mm -hmm. that he's here washing our feet, listening to us, encouraging us. Right. So the orientation of being a servant, I'm not talking obviously about being a doormat. I right. think all of us need to have healthy boundaries with people and not, uh, you know, not inappropriately allow people to exploit us or be abusive to us uh, while we're trying to serve them. So that would be one of them. Another that really comes out of my lifelong interest in cognitive therapy is that emotional health is tied to having an accurate view of reality. Okay. Okay. So another facet of that is, look, you're, you're not all that emotionally healthy if you're believing a lot of things that are not true. Mm. And that's the whole issue of faulty thoughts, faulty mm -hmm. self-talk. Mm -hmm. um, I was blessed to work years ago for the Minerth Meyer Clinic in Dallas. Yeah. And that's when I wrote my very first book, The Lies We Believe. Right. So that was when I was more in cognitive therapy mode as mm -hmm. a professional. Um, and I've spent the last decades really pushing this notion of, can we ask the Holy Spirit to help us think on what's lovely, true, pure, and worthwhile? Yeah. Rather than what's ugly, untrue, irrational, disgusting. Right. Uh, so another thing about the life of Christ was there were no faulty beliefs in his mind. Mm -hmm. He never misperceived reality one time. Mm -hmm. And therefore that flawless view of truth and reality led to flawless reactions, which included anger, sadness, hurt. Mm -hmm. So a flawless view of reality does not eliminate painful emotions. Right. It just makes sure that you have the right ones right? Uh, and that you don't not have joy, peace, contentment. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that was another one. Uh, let me think. I talk uh, in the book about the uh, marker of emotional health being tied to the ability and the willingness to forgive people. Mm. Okay. If anything, uh, you know, marked the life of Christ, it was this unbelievable capacity to forgive people, many of whom were not even sorry that they had hurt. Uh, so I think if we're going to be emotionally healthy followers of Christ, we really have to uh, be willing to humble ourselves, forgive people who have wounded us, not wait until they care or apologize or own it. Uh, that's another way that he lived that I think we're supposed to follow. Mm -hmm. There were a couple, Anne, that fell into the book that were a little bit surprising to me that I didn't know they were going to end up making the list. One of them is uh, the notion of self-awareness. Mm. Uh, it really hit me along the way the last few years that and I'm not putting the body of Christ down, but I just see so many believers lacking self-awareness. Mm. 
Yeah. They have these blind spots and they're not willing to let the Holy Spirit hold up any mirrors. They're not willing to let other people hold up any mirrors for them right. to look into. And if anything, Christ had perfect self awareness. There wasn't anything about himself that other people knew that he did not know. Yeah. So, so I think another marker of emotional health believers is you really have to work hard on being self-aware. You have to empty out your blind spots. You have to ask people for feedback on, hey, what do you see about me that I don't see about myself? Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I'm going to walk around in denial about my stuff. Yeah. And I'm not going to be as honest as I need to be about how fault I am. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons that people go to therapy. But a lot of times as the therapist, we don't actually know how you're presenting out there in the world with the people that you interact with. And so I might take what you say to me and say, oh, yeah, that all sounds great. But then you interact with your spouse or your friends and they're seeing another side of you that really you're just not aware of it. So you can't bring it into the therapy room. And this is where we really need that community of believers that you open yourself up to and that they can say, hey, the spirit is moving in this way, or this is what I'm seeing, or that thing that you said didn't really jive with what you say you believe, or, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And that puts us in a pretty tough spot because sometimes the Holy Spirit will nudge us to say, hey, I, I, I care enough about you to say, I think you're not willing to see something about yourself that I've picked up on. Yeah. I want to bring it to your attention, not condemningly, but just for your conviction, for your edification. Yeah. Uh, so that's a pretty big ticket item to me. And I'll say from more of a personal standpoint, it's one of one of the things that I don't think I've had enough of. It's enough self-awareness. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm kind of in getting on in life, but it's like, man, I have denial about all kinds of things mm-hmm. for most of my life about my my way of interacting with people, yeah. tendency to be selfish or defensive or angry or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so that one made the list kind of surprising way. Uh, another one that did made that made the list was the capacity to listen deeply. Mm. Uh, I think emotional health is fundamentally tied to can you get out of yourself long enough to really give people good listening to? Yeah, And that's what the Lord did just in spade. Like, I'm sure anybody that ever sat down with him felt like this is not somebody that's the typical fair. It's like they really are locked in. They are listening on a level that is scary almost. How deeply they are listening to understand me, not cookie cutter me or act like one size fits all. Um, so I think the capacity to listen well, to listen deeply, empathically, uh, is crucial uh, from an emotional health standpoint. Mm-hmm. And then that supports other people growing in their emotional health. That's exactly right. Yeah, if we you know. model that for them. Mm-hmm. Now, related to that is I, I don't think emotional health is possible if you don't have compassion. Hmm. So a cold-hearted spirit is not an emotionally healthy spirit. 
And there are numerous times in scripture where the Bible refers to, and he looked across the crowd and he had compassion. Right. Or you can tell that his heart just had this deep well of empathy and compassion for the suffering of people, mm-hmm. for their problems. So that was another one that made the list of 12 that kind of surprised me. Uh, it has been more of a later addition in the last few years of my understanding uh, of the markers of emotional. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really interesting, Chris, since you said that you're a cognitive therapist in, in your time, right? Yeah. So when I'm doing like a basic CBT exercise with people, whether it's a believer or non-believer, it's easier for me with believers because I feel like we have more resources to draw yeah. on to, yeah. to work on our alternate thoughts. Um, I'll go through a basic exercise where we pick our automatic negative thoughts and then we decide what were the feelings that came out of that and what were the what was happening in your body and your behaviors because of those emotions. Mm-hmm. And then we'll go through and we'll look for cognitive distortions and then we'll um, maybe reference some scripture that would help us draw on some new thoughts and new possibilities. And then we'll get to this this next box on my chart where we're picking out what would the emotions be? if you had these new better thoughts. And almost, I can tell you probably 90% of the time, the word compassion comes into that box. Yeah. Because once you've evaluated your negative thoughts and you start giving people the benefit of the doubt and you start um, allowing for other possibilities that you hadn't considered, you develop compassion. So it's really interesting for me to hear that you see that as one of those tenets of emotional health that Jesus displayed, because that's where I'm almost always trying to get with my clients, you know? (laughs) And and if I might add to that, to me, the premier cognitive distortion that leads to a lack of compassion is taking things personally. Mm. So I think to the degree that we can help clients stop taking people's behavior personally, then they're even more freed up to have compassion. And I think that's another kind of perfect purity of the mind of Christ is that he never took one thing people did as a personal front. He knew that it was about them and not him. And I think that freed him up to have compassion toward people who treated him just horribly. Yeah. And why he could be up on the cross and say, Father, forgive what they Yeah. Good point. Was that one of the other tenants? Uh, Don't the, take it personally. <laughs> it's kind of subsumed in the uh, accurate thinking yeah. uh, chapter. In fact, I zero in on personalization as the one yeah. distortion that the chapter is fundamentally about. Okay. Uh, so go into that. Yeah. Um, if you've listened to the Soul Grit Podcast for even one episode, you know my guests and I believe that when we integrate the power of God with the wisdom of modern psychology, we get supercharged healing, change, and growth in counseling. As a Christian therapist, however, I realize that there are many practitioners out there who are personally Christians but don't know how to integrate their faith into their counseling practices. That's why I created the eCourse, Faith Integration for Therapists. In this premium five-module course, therapists who love Jesus will learn everything from understanding their calling to marketing their practices to Christians to adapting evidence-based interventions to honor our faith. 
You can learn more about the online course at www.soulgritresources.com courses and send an email to info at soulgritresources.com to receive a discount code. I'm going to have to cheat to cover some more. Is that okay? <laughs> well, you've told us about, I think, half of them here. Yeah. You so want, I you think want maybe, I think maybe we leave the, like uh, that as a little teaser for people who want to buy okay. the book and read the rest of them, because okay. I'd like you to speak a little bit more. If you know, if you've figured out the key, like, how do we get there? How do we get to these places of emotional health? Yeah. And I think that's a great question. And I feel like it's only been in the last few years that I finally came to my senses about it because I began to see how much I left the Holy Spirit out of spiritual formation. Mm. And I saw that as the reason why I hadn't grown as much psychologically and spiritually as I could have in yeah. 56 years of being a believer. And that's why in the opening three chapters, I used the third chapter to go into the role of the Holy Spirit in becoming more emotionally healthy. Okay. So I talk a lot about, I think the chapter is titled, A Broken Soul Can't Fix a Broken Soul. Yeah. And so I go into uh, why Paul kind of chastised the Galatians about moving away from the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Mm -hmm. and, and I really have come uh, become very convicted about, look, you know, we're not going to make much progress, any of us, me included, if we don't tap the right power source. Mm -hmm. And our power is not enough to help us to become emotionally healthy. I mean, you can make some progress. There are non-believers who are fairly emotionally healthy folks. So obviously, you don't have to have the Holy Spirit. But I sure recommend that we learn more about that member of the Trinity. Yeah. And, uh, how to have a closer, intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit, given that he is inside of us. And it's uh, given various roles in our life, like you know, bringing, guiding us to truth. Uh, convicting us of sin, pleading on our behalf with the other members of the Trinity. So long-winded way to say I've just grown more convinced that you don't ever leave the Holy Spirit out of effort to grow, otherwise you're kind of cooking your own goods. Yeah. So, Chris, did you grow up maybe like in a denomination? You said you came to Christ at the age of 13, but were you taught about the Holy Spirit in your church experience as a young person? I was not. No. And I'm not going to mention the denomination, but no, I, you was, don't need to. I was reared in an <clears throat> incredibly legalistic, condemning, shaming mm -hmm. church. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was as if there were only God the Father and God the Son. Right. So uh, that's why I really took to Francis Chan's book, The Forgotten God, mm -hmm. which he wrote about the Holy Spirit, because I resonate that the Holy Spirit mentally forgotten my upbringing. Right. Uh, it wasn't until I got in on into my 30s and 40s that I even began to read more about the Holy Spirit, think more about what that means to interact with him. Yeah. So no, my, my church upbringing is actually 
somewhat of an enemy to my own mental health. Yeah. My, my own ability to grow in Christ. Yeah. And um, I'm very thankful the Lord took me to basically non-denominational church where I think I got a lot of good teaching to help me come out of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's not to say that if you're a part of a denomination that emphasizes the work of the Holy Spirit, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're in an emotionally healthy environment either. Because right. sometimes the emphasis is too much on that and there's not enough responsibility taken to do some of these tasks like growing in your self-awareness, correct? Yeah, I think that's a great point. Is, uh, the devil to me is always operating extremes. Mm-hmm. He would like for you to either completely ignore um, God or uh, focus way, almost way too much. Uh, the more perhaps important point is um, you can be, you can focus on the Holy Spirit in such a way that it's almost charismatically chaotic. Mm-hmm not any more biblical than uh, ignoring it. Yeah. Uh, so it's a real tough, fine line that believers have to walk about who the Holy Spirit is, what his functions are, and not uh, not ignore him, but not to get into some crazy kind of notion of of who he is, what he's here to do for us, or, or what. Yeah, yeah, good point. So once we have acknowledged the work of the Holy Spirit and we've invited him into this process of emotional growth, what else, what are some of the practical tools that you can give us? Yeah. Well, that takes me to the spiritual discipline. Mm. Yeah. Uh, So once we get the right person position of power, uh, and I think the implication is, Scripture is pretty clear about these spiritual disciplines that have been handed down over the years that are very practical. You know, it's not uh, only meant for the super spiritual. So in that chapter on the Holy Spirit, I talk about three in particular, study, uh, fellowship, and prayer. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, I, I encourage the reader, you know, if, there may I've seen lists of fifteen yeah. spiritual disciplines, and I've seen lists of smaller numbers. But to me, if you're going to emphasize any of the list, it needs to be, you know, vigorous, non-lazy study of the Word of God, where you're meditating on it day and night, giving the Holy Spirit entree into your mind and your heart by hiding the Word there. Yeah. and, and uh, meditating on it, memorizing it. Certainly prayer. Um, most believers don't have a very good prayer life. So to me, we've got to get to a relationship with God where we are talking to him and listening to him, mm-hmm. which is what prayer is largely. And then fellowship. Uh, to me, you know, iron sharpens iron. And we're told not to forsake the assembling together of the saints. Mm-hmm. So in my life, to keep it simple, like, look, at least be doing those. Yeah. You know, at least at least be majoring in those three because they're they're kind of the three legs of the stool yeah. for spiritual formation. The others are equally important, but 
if I'm not doing those three, I don't really think much about it. Mm -hmm. So I hope that makes a little bit of sense. Yeah, I'm just thinking about, you know, really faithful Christian believers who read the Bible, who pray, who are in church or Bible study every week, but mm -hmm. still don't seem to have like that emotional IQ the EQ, right? The self-awareness that you were talking about. So is there a missing ingredient there or is that the role of the spirit? Is there something else that Christians can be doing? Yeah, and this is the chin high fastball. Okay. <laughs> okay. Repent. Hmm. That's that's what's going on when people are frequently heavily doing the spiritual disciplines, but they're not getting Traction. It's yeah. almost always the case they are they are unrepentant about certain sins that are grieving the Holy Spirit. Mm. And so that's what I talk with my clients about is like, you know, I as you do, I'm sure I create a safe enough environment that we don't have to worry about being open and honest. But um, my own experience in my life if I'm not making much progress, I'm either not practicing the disciplines or I'm harboring some kind of secret sin. Mm. And thus I'm grieving the Holy Spirit, if not quenching the Holy Spirit's power in my life. Mm -hmm. And until I repent, I'm not gaining traction mm -hmm. uh, because not out of meanness, but until the younger son came out of the foreign land and there was no party there. <laughs> so it, to me it's like we, we just need to look at whether or not we're disobeying God and continuing to sin so that grace may abound mm -hmm. and whether or not we're just ready to um, truly have what the Bible calls godly sorrow that leads to repentance yeah I'm just wondering if there's some people out there I'm probably included in it but that are just not aware of what we should be repenting for you yeah. know and maybe somebody else this goes to maybe that like that self-awareness of being able to say to another believer hey what do you see in me that i'm not seeing because yeah. um maybe there's something where you you're just really stuck in your belief i'm doing it right and that's that's hampering your growth you know I, th I think especially of our country right now being so polarized where people on both sides of the aisle are saying you're wrong and i'm right and so there's no when you get into that echo chamber there's no one to hold up the mirror that says maybe the way you said that maybe what you said was right but the way you said wasn't or you know yeah. well i think that's a great point um for me personally two things have very helpful about becoming more aware of what I need to repent of if I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, one is to be in the word. I just experienced it too. But when I'm in the word, it is just amazing and interesting how God takes me to certain passages mm -hmm. that have my name on it. He doesn't do it to rub my face in it. Yeah. The other thing I've really embarked on lately in the last few years is I try to get my hands on books that are pretty non-condemningly hard. Um, I've been reading through, I, I think I have her name right, but I've been reading Glittering Vices. 
the book by Rebecca DeYoung. I think it's her. Okay. But that book really non-shamingly took me out behind the woodshed <laughs> as far as you, you wonder what you need to repent of. Yeah. Well, let's look at the seven deadly sins. Okay. And after reading that book five times, it just became even clearer to me that I dipped my toe in. I see. And God used a book like that and 14 others to help better understand what sin is and mm -hmm. uh, the many facets of it and how many times it be kind of more hidden, covert, mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to, you know, I went out and murdered somebody today, uh, which I'm not going to never have, never will. But she was talking about things like vainglory mm. and sloth. Mm -hmm. uh, which is laziness, but she defined it in a way that really opened my eyes to how slow I am about being the word, about loving up on other people. Uh, so books like that to me are another way that God said, if you want me to show you, yeah. you know, not gleefully, but just because I love you, I'm happy to do so. Yeah. But strap on your seatbelt because the ride's pretty rough. Yeah. That's a good point. There's a wealth of mentors to help point out things. Yeah, in in sure. written word, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. And I, so help me make this caveat with mm -hmm. my audience here, because a lot of times we talk about how the church historically has said, you don't need therapy, you don't need psychology, yeah. you just need to pray more and get yourself to Bible study. Yeah. And I feel a personal mission to say, yes, I do want you to pray more and go to Bible study. But I also want you to address the, the trauma that has happened to you, the faulty beliefs that might take a professional to help you root those out, the um, family relationship dynamics that maybe a, an outside person can help you with, the, the actual mental illness, the psychopathology, there, there's a place for that too. So I just, I want you and I to be able to have a message here where there is, there's the emotional health and, and we see Jesus as the model for that. And as you're tracing it down, the root of this is all sin, right? The, the reason why we're not like Jesus right now is just because of sin, whether original sin or personal sin, right? Yeah. And yet there, there's, we're holding in both hands here, our responsibility to repent, as you said, and to seek mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit to show us. And then we also have in this other hand, our responsibility to interact with people in the world yeah. in a healthy way, right? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, when I hear people say something to that effect of all you need to do, read your Bible, pray, whatever, I just don't think that's biblical. I don't <laughs> think the Bible says that. <laughs> uh, you know, the Bible is replete with what I refer to as one another verses. Yeah. And it's really clear that we are to co-labor with other believers mm -hmm. and that in the counsel of many, there is wisdom. Mm -hmm. So there, there's 500 things in scripture that say, no, are not supposed to, you know, lone ranger. It. Mm -hmm. uh, you're not supposed to get in the way of the wide variety of ways God can help you. Yeah. Uh, a lot of which involve people and 
being under their tutelage, being under their counsel, um, letting them teach you. Uh, I have as much teacher bent in me than I do psychotherapist. Mm -hmm. My office is more, I love to turn the light bulb on for folks. Yeah, I, I love to mentor them. I love to equip them with skills and abilities so that they don't need me down the road. Uh, so I, I just go back to that verse in the counsel of many, there is wisdom and that we're being rather foolish not to tap a wide variety of people, whether it's a counselor, mm -hmm. uh, a pastor, a uh, public speaker, an author. Uh, those are all ways that we can get counsel. From God himself. Yeah, that's good. Well, um, Chris, can you tell us a couple of the other titles that you've written? Well, the original first book was The Lies We Believe, mm -hmm. and uh, Thomas Nelson let me do a 30th anniversary edition wow. uh, a few years ago. So I was I really gutted the book and tore it down to the stud and put uh, 12 new chapters and redid wow. every chapter that made it from the original. So that's one of them. Um, I've written a, I, I wrote a book called uh, The Lies Couples Believe which is a cognitive therapy book, basically for couples, mm. 10 faulty ways that couples think that get in the way of a harmonious, loving marriage. Mm. Uh, I wrote a book called Stop Shooting All Over Yourself. <laughs> uh, you and I know about how deadly shoulds are. Yes. Um, about seven people bought that book, Anne, and six of them were Thurman. So, <laughs> well, the title's great. I don't know what happened. <laughs> I don't either. The title's awesome, and I would think you know at least ten people would buy it on the title alone. And I'll I'll just mention one other, which was kind of a, um, a just a deeply heartfelt uh, book that I wanted to write. I wrote a book called Pop's Advice. Mm. And the subtitle is Godly Guidance for My Grandkids and Everyone Else. Okay. So I wrote a book of 50 pieces of advice to my grandkids. And I, I just kept it, you know, I kept in mind all the other kids out there that might could benefit from this and the parents and the grandparents trying to read. So Pop's Advice was another book that I wrote recently. And not to belabor the answer, but um, I'm moving into what a lot of people call the second half of life mm -hmm. um, and what they call generativity, which yeah. is that desire to leave something behind you for the, yeah. especially for the younger generation. So Pop's Advice was the first book that was in that bent in me, that mm -hmm. desire to uh, more fully move into the wisdom years of my practice. Yeah. And then I think emotionally healthy Christianity is kind of the culmination of that. Yeah. And, you know, as much as I can pass along at this point that I hope is wise and mm -hmm. going to be helpful to people long after I've exited the planet. Yeah. And, uh, you know, end up with the Lord, I hope and pray. Mm -hmm. Good. Well, you've definitely mentioned several books that have influenced you. And now books that you're you've written to influence others, and yeah. so I I'm appreciating how much of a a writer and reader that you are for this time. It's I, it's, it's yeah. good to um, 
to have a reminder of some of those titles that are really helpful in our formation of our thoughts, both about Jesus and about our own minds. Well, I appreciate that. I do, I'm not a writer by talent or ability. I just feel blessed that the Lord opened that up mm -hmm. over 30 years ago. Uh, and uh, I just love to write. For me, it's very therapeutic to write. And I was reading another author recently where he talked about how he writes books that are where he's struggling yep. and he's trying to work out his own stuff. And that's what my books have been mm -hmm. like, you know, lies we believe. I wrote it basically by thinking about all the nonsense. You know, <laughs> Up in your I own head, right? In my own head. And emotionally healthy Christianity. You know? Every one of the 12 attributes of Christ are something that I just want to really keep growing in because I know I'm not anywhere close to being like the Lord those 12 ways. And I, yeah. I want to finish strong yeah. in life. And I, I want to go, you know, I want to go out with more growth and formation and then leave it for other folks to have if they want it. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Well, Chris, the question that I always ask my guests as we're ending the episode is what are you doing for soul care? And this is a strange answer, perhaps, but I've actually been focusing more on body care. Mm -hmm. That's not strange on this podcast, actually. We've talked about that quite a bit. So. Okay. Well, I've just, uh, another conviction I've come under over the years is that I have not, they talk about it as gut health these days. Yeah, yeah. And I've just really been trying to let the Lord steer me in the direction of just how much I need to repent of putting things in my body that are just bad. Mm -hmm. uh, it's embarrassing to admit it, but, you know, I was a chronic diet Mountain Dew drinker for over 30 or 40 years. Mm -hmm. And that's like drinking battery acid. <laughs> I hope I don't get a call from the diet Mountain Dew people, but <laughs> the point I'm trying to make is my body was just not being looked out for. And I think that affects your psyche. I think it affects your spiritual life and interpersonal health. So I, the last year or two, I've just been trying to hunker down with getting a nutritionist, having somebody assess me, uh, getting me on a better uh, eating plan mm -hmm. and doing things that help with the promotion of gut health. Uh, and it's been interesting to see the, uh, you know, the ripple effect on into psychological and spiritual and interpersonal. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we could probably do a whole other podcast on how just taking care of your gut health is, is fostering your emotional and spiritual health, yeah. but that would be a different time. <laughs> but I, I do agree with you. Like we, and this is a specific, maybe good Christian sin, right? Because yeah. in our churches and our potlucks, we're, we have all the junk food and we have the things that shouldn't be going in our bodies. And that's become a part of our culture because for some reason, sodas and donuts and all those things are more acceptable than alcohol and cigarettes and things like that, that we know are not good for us. So yeah. that's an, it's a whole cultural repentance needed there, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, different topic. Well, Chris, again, I want to thank you. I'm going to have all of your links um, in the show notes for people to find you easily, but do you want to mention them real quick before we end? Well, uh, one of them is my website, which is drchristherman.com, uh, D-R, uh, christherman.com. Um, if I had my way, every one of your listeners would buy 10,000 copies of my new book. Okay. So that I can retire a little bit early and go play golf and drive my wife even crazier than I am. <laughs> so uh, they can go on Amazon.com to pull the book up. You know how they let you look inside. Look, yeah. See the table of contents, read perhaps the first chapter. Uh, so they can find me there. Those are kind of the two places. I do have a Facebook page, Chris Thurman. Okay. And, uh, so they can go on there as well. Great. Well, we, we will link all of those in the show notes for everyone. You heard it. You need to go buy 10,000 copies <laughs> so Chris can retire. Um, he wants on, to spend I'm more time with grandkids. <laughs> I'm 69. I don't have many years left and I'm dragging. So help me out. Well, I do appreciate that you continue to work because you have a different perspective than the, the young 26-year-old influencers that are coming up and telling us what to think about our emotional health. Like you have a different perspective on that. So as a lifelong believer and as a person in the in the career of psychotherapy, I do appreciate speaking to you today. Thank you, and I appreciate you letting me be on the program. All right. The Soul Grit Podcast is a production of Soul Grit Resources. You can find more at soulgritresources.com or on the socials at Soul Grit Resources. You can email me at info at soulgritresources.com.